Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. I want to shift gears a little bit today. Uh, something that's been on my heart uh, to, to talk to you about and it, I mentioned it just a little bit last week, but, um, you know, life is hard, has twists and turns, difficulties, challenges. We all have them, every single person. There's a lot of highs and then there's sometimes a lot of lows. We get all of this in life. Uh, opportunities for getting hurt and wounded and offended and then there's things that are glorious in the presence of God. And some of my, I was just thinking during worship today, our teams do amazing up here that some of my favorite times of my life have been right over there on the carpet. Worshiping God. I'm just, I'm so thankful that we get to worship him and we get to do this together. It's, it's incredible. So those are some of the highs in my life. Sometimes things are just really hard, really hard. Things that you go through that you didn't expect, um, you know, we have the God of hope, right? Our God is the God of all hope. It's who he is, one of the things that he is. And we get to follow him into the unknown. You don't know exactly what lies ahead tomorrow or the next day. But we know that we are in him. And he holds us. And we are never alone, right? So we have all of those things. And he's with us through difficult times and through the wonderful times. And his presence is one of the things that we get to have, the presence of God. Another one of my favorite things in life, if not my very favorite, is the presence of God. There's nothing like it. Nothing compares to the presence of God. I've also realized in my personal life that some of the difficult things that I've gone through or been in have been some ways been self-inflicted. You ever notice some of that for yourselves? Yes. Decisions that you make, mindsets that you had that weren't right, get you in a, bat, in a place that you shouldn't be in, things like that. And um, I found for myself that some of those places of difficulty that I were self-inflicted had to do with mindsets that I had that I would call now idealism. Idealism. Um, idealism is actually not a good thing. It, it can be a real evil, actually, because it creates ways that are perfect or idealistic that aren't based in reality or the way that God will do things. We need to have hope in God, not in the way that we want something to happen. This is huge as a believer and navigating life all the way to the end, as we've been talking about, enduring to the end till Jesus returns, however that looks, whenever that is, that we don't have a hold of an idealistic image in our minds of how things are gonna turn out. I'm gonna hold on to him and he's gonna turn everything out. He is the hope that I have, but when we hold on to something else, it's, it's a danger, and I want to talk some about that today. It can derail us to the very best of us, not just some, the very best of us. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read one through six. It'll be up on the screens. Our guys do an amazing job. Noah and crew back there. Yeah. Thank you, all of our team, our video team and media team. Matthew 11, verse 1, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, which were to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. That was part of instru instructions. He departed from there, sent them out, and he went to teach and preach in their cities. Verse two, now when John, speaking of John the Baptist, while imprisoned, remember he got thrown in prison for confronting, when he heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? 
This is John the Baptist sending a message through his disciples to Jesus saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the expected one or is, is there someone else? Not you. Seems like a, a strange question for John the Baptist to be asking. Verse four, Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John, they were cousins by the way, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then verse six, it's a great one to underline. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is the person, every person, who's not offended by Jesus. Let me say it a different way. Blessed is the person who's not offended by the ways Jesus works or the things that he does or the things that he says. How about this one? Blessed is the person who's not offended at the timing of Jesus doing things. John the Baptist, Jesus, remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist? What did he say? He's the greatest. There's no one born of woman, which is everyone but Adam, basically, that's greater than John the Baptist. Up until that moment, no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said, this guy is a rock star. He has it going on. This guy's obedient. This guy knows God. This is an amazing person. Jesus said that of John the Baptist. Yet John the Baptist, that great person, isn't quite sure that Jesus is the one. Even though he'd already prophesied that he was. Even though he really believed. Why? Because Jesus was not performing in the manner in which John the Baptist assumed he would. He wasn't seeing what he thought he would see. And so it caused doubt. Expectations. Expectations are tricky for you and for me. We all have them. They happen quickly. They happen unintentionally. But expectations get formed on the inside of us about how things are gonna happen, when they're gonna happen, and what is gonna happen. And we have to be careful with those. I'm saying this today because I care about every single one of you. And I'm telling you from my own personal life where I have gotten, um, and I'll share that in a moment, off track, sidetracked, derailed because of this very thing right here. And it's not just me, it's John the Baptist to some degree. It's others that we're gonna read about as well. I don't know that there's any other cause for people getting divorces, for people leaving a church, for people leaving friendships and relationships or leaving jobs than what I'm talking about right now. Expectations. If an expectation is set in your heart and your mind that it's gonna happen this way, it's gonna look like this, I'm gonna be treated like this, and that doesn't happen, then guess what? We as humans typically bail. You're gonna bail on that relationship. If my wife is gonna treat me like I wanna be treated, I'm out of here. If a job doesn't treat me just right, I'm out of here. If a church doesn't do just what I expect it to do and look the certain way, I'm out of here. If they sing that type of music instead of this kind of music, mm. right? We are especially, and I'm just gonna say it, especially Americans, because we're used to getting our way. And we've got, you walk into a grocery store. Well, not as much right now, but typically you've got, I mean, dozens and dozens of choices for each item. So we get to choose what we want how we want it, when we want it. Drive-throughs, instant gratification. We, a, a thousand churches to choose from in Winston, right? So if one doesn't line up with exactly how I want, I'm out of here. So that is the American type of, we are not really geared, even American Christians, to following the Holy Spirit and enduring through things that the Lord is leading us into and through. One reason why there's such a high divorce rate, not just in the world, but among Christians, because expectations aren't 
always met. And sometimes, well, expectations oftentimes are strongly connected with selfishness. An expectation based on what I want. This is a danger for every single one of us. I'll keep going here. Now, John the Baptist, back to him. Jesus said he's the greatest person ever born of woman. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus before he asked him the question, are you really the one? Here's something he said. Matthew 3, verse 11. He says that Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is what John prophesies about Jesus. And then he introduces him and he says, I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. This is the son of God. That's the next one. John 1.33, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Luke 3.16, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John says he's the Son of God, he's the Messiah, he's, gonna, he's coming to kick butt, basically. That's really what he's saying here. He's coming with a winnowing fork. He's coming to deal with all kind of stuff. He's going to gather the wheat into his barn. He's going to burn up the chaff. It's serious business when Jesus comes. So Jesus comes. He baptizes him. And what does Jesus do? Instead of baptizing people with Holy Spirit and fire and dealing with everything, he's healing people. He's raising the dead. He's setting the captive free. He's freeing the demonic who's got a legion of demons on the inside. Jesus is doing those type of things. He's gathering 12, this ragamuffin group with all these others and even women following and they're just walking through the countryside, healing and preaching and talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, talking, not doing. So John the Baptist is confused. Maybe he's wondering, Either I didn't hear from the Lord right, or that's not the guy. Because he's not seeing what he expected to see. Now, was he wrong? No. Was his timing off? Yes. In fact, some of what John the Baptist prophesied 2,000 years ago still hasn't happened. It still hasn't happened. See, when the Lord speaks to you, when he speaks to me, timing is the most difficult part of it. It's the most difficult part of it. God spoke to John the Baptist. Jesus came. Okay, here's the Messiah. We knew he was coming. There he is. But he's not doing anything. Maybe he's not then. Because he's not doing it on my clock. When you've had words, when I've had words over my life, you've had words over your life, prophetic words. I love the prophetic. We'll talk about it a lot. Words from heaven, encouragement to build up, exhort, comfort. Some of those words speak of of things that you will do, callings that you have, things that will take place. But guess what? If you hear those things and you start putting timing on those, This is going to happen then. Oh, goody, that's going to happen then. This is going to happen. And then not just timing, how it's going to happen. You build this idea of, I'll give you an example. And I've seen this many times. Someone says, you have an evangelistic calling. Someone says to you, you have an evangelistic calling. What starts happening in your brain? Stadiums full of people. (laughs) I'm on the stage. Everyone's watching. I'm preaching the gospel with anointing. And fire and people are coming to the Lord. They're laying on the ground everywhere. Those kind of things start happening. But what Jesus may have meant, the calling absolutely is evangelistic. The method might be one-on-one in a hundred different cities. But if the expectation gets set a certain way and it doesn't happen that way, there's opportunity for what? To lose hope? 
to not believe Jesus really spoke even, to be unsure about everything and to fall away. It's exactly because of an expectation. It's all about what we set in here that this is gonna happen this way, God's gonna do it that way, based on what he says. Have you ever talked to someone on the phone that you've never seen in person? You talk to them on the phone, hear their voice, and then you arrange to meet. In your mind, the moment you're talking to them, again, unintentional, you have, every single person in here has a painter inside your head. Did you know that? You have an artist in there. And sometimes he's a false artist because he paints, or she, whoever's in there, paints in your imagination what every person looks like when you hear a voice. Happens every time. You'd be driving down the, car, down the road with the radio on and you hear a DJ talking and your mind, you're, again, you're not trying, but the painter goes to work. A voice, oh, <laughs> paints an image. You're talking on the phone, <laughs> paints an image. And then you meet the person. Has it ever happened one time? I want, I, honestly, raise your hand. If one time ever that when you met the person that you only heard a voice of, that the picture matched in your mind the reality of the person. Anybody? Once. One time? We have one. Two. Hey, that's not bad. Out of how many? Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands of millions. Why? Because we created something in here and then assume that is what it's like. And it wasn't right. So if that's the way that it works just by hearing a voice in the natural, what about when we hear God's voice? We then go to painting. What's gonna look like this? This is what my ministry is gonna look like. I'm gonna be doing this, I'm gonna be going there. This is what my business is gonna look like. I'm gonna be doing this and going there. I'm gonna be making this much money. We have all, they just, it just happens. And the, and that's not necessarily bad, but we have to be anchored and having our hope in God and Jesus and not in what the image looks like. Otherwise, you're going to be let down. You're going to be disappointed, discouraged, maybe fall away. That is just, let me just read this, okay? Before I read the scripture, let me say this. The Pharisees did the same thing. The Pharisees, the people who knew the word of God the best. I mean, they had to memorize it. The Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. You know, they were memorizing these things as young children, especially the boys. Can you imagine memorizing? How many of you have Leviticus memorized? They memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Pharisees knew the word. They knew the prophets, what the prophets said. They understood the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all those guys. They knew, he, they knew what they said. Yet when Jesus, the Son of God himself, arrives on the planet and starts speaking, the image in their minds was not that. They were all waiting for the Messiah. They still are. They still are. But the image in their mind is that he would look like them. You know, dressed in those long flowing robes and having phylactery mounted to your head. And, right? They expected him to look like them and act like them. And since he didn't, like he's healing people. Same problem John the Baptist had. Why is he healing people? Why is he raising the dead? This is, no, we're looking for a Messiah who's going to come and kick butt. And so what? They became the enemy of the very one God sent. Isn't that a crazy? Through expectation, if you, if you hold on to that more than hold on to God, what God sends may be the exact opposite. And you become an enemy of God's plan. How's that one? That's what happened to the Pharisees. They became the enemies of Jesus and his plan. The very ones who 
held the word in such high esteem and memorized it and carried it around in bits attached to their head and in their arm little box. They've got the word of God so close to them that day and night, and they're praying three times a day. I've got all that going on. And there's the son of God, and they miss him entirely because of an expectation that did not match reality. Right? So if that can happen to them, it can happen to John the Baptist. The, the Apostle Paul, this didn't happen to. It's interesting. Incredible visions God gave him, insight, wisdom, authority. And he says this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, for I have learned, I can say this too for me, I'm, I've learned. You know, it's good to learn things from your mistakes, from your past, from other people's mistakes. That's a, even a better one, right? What, Paul says this about the scriptures. You know, the Old Testament and the, the, the travels of the Israelites through the wilderness are for our example. So we don't have to do the same things they did. It's one of the things I give Adam and Eve lots of grace. They didn't have any examples ahead of them, right? They were the first ones, those with no belly buttons, <laughs> launching, launching through. Okay, now you, I, come back. <laughs> Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. Wow, isn't that interesting? He can live on the street without a home. He can live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I love this, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's a secret right there. It's a secret for each one of us. We, you, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of how things have turned out that I didn't think they would turn out that way, regardless of this difficulty I'm suddenly in and I'm wondering, where did God go? I'm wondering why this is happening. Is, does he not care? It's like the disciples in the boat waking him up. Do you not care that we're about to die? Paul said, no, 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 I've realized I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I can be content in little or a lot. I can be content if I'm getting beaten with a rod or rocks thrown at me, or I'm doing well and I'm having a five-course meal. He can be content in every situation. That is difficult for American Christians. How can we be content regardless of what's going on? Man, we gotta be a hold, get a hold of Jesus. We gotta get a hold of him and realize that my circumstances does not indicate whether he likes me or not. Or if he's there or not. Or if he's faithful or not. He is faithful. But sometimes things are rough. Sometimes things are difficult. Exodus 20, verse four, says this. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. One of the 10 commandments. Don't make an image in anything in heaven or above the earth or beneath the waters. So you see that throughout the Old Testament. The Lord is always battling, trying to keep the attention and the love of his people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, versus all these idols. Now, idols that we're ta he's talking about then throughout the Old Testament, they're physical things. Sometimes it's a stone, sometimes it's a piece of wood, it's, sometimes it's carved image out of gold, silver, all these things. They have different names. And people begin to trust these images, these idols, these stone things. And so the people of God are constantly being distracted by an image of something they can see, and they start worshiping that rather than worshiping the God who set them free. You know this constant battle throughout all of, all of the Old Testament. Well, today, New Testament, fast forward, 
idols don't seem to be as much of a problem for us in, in the form of something that someone makes. If I was to make something right now, it would be ugly to begin with. I'm not much of an artist. But if I were to make something out of gold and set it on the stage and say, no, please don't worship that. Not one person here will be tempted to do that. I really don't think any of you would. That is not a concern of mine, and it's certainly not a concern of the Lord's. However, an image formed in your mind of how things will be and what God will do and how he will do it, that's a little different. I have a friend, um, good friend, who 35 years ago went to university and had an experience with God at university that was off the hook. People getting saved everywhere. People getting filled with the Spirit. People repenting of their sin. The presence of God. They end up going from um, you know, a once a week experience to every night. They're just having meetings like revival. An amazing experience. He gets saved through that. Was a part of that. Gets into a local church. Goes to Bible school. All these things. I got to know him later. And whenever I would talk to him, he would talk about those times with such affection, with such emotion, with such longing for something like that again. So much so that any church that he has ever gone to, and I think still to today, he would never commit, never serve, never fully be a part. Why? Because there's an image in his mind of how it's like when when God is really there. And it's like that situation back in college. And since nothing has matched that same thing, then I'm not, it must not be God yet. So he's not giving of himself to serve, to be a part. He just stays on the periphery, just living his his own life. And my heart, as I talk to him about it, God does, though God doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The way he does things, does. He doesn't do the same thing twice, the same exact way. Even the messages he spoke to the people who came to him, to one man, it was Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. He didn't use those same words with anybody else that we have recorded. To the rich young ruler, he said, you must go and sell it all and then come follow me. He never gave that invitation to anybody else like that. God does things differently. To think about this, that every snowflake is unique. What? The creativity of God, that every fingerprint in here, and toe print probably, is unique, is so fascinating and wonderful that God has that much creativity that you are so unique, there's no one like you, no matter what. Not even even one of your fingerprints is matched anywhere on the planet ever. God does things his way. He does things his way. Mankind gets a hold of that. We make clones the exact same. We make systems, and the system is the exact same, and you get the same exact result every single time. God doesn't do things that way. He does not. He does things uniquely. He spoke to me one time this way, and then when I heard his voice again, it was similar, but guess what? He was saying something different to me then. Because he doesn't want me to follow a system. He wants me to follow him. He doesn't want us putting in systems and saying, okay, just follow this and everything's okay. You know, I could then have a computer praise God for me. Just program it to say the right things and do the right things. That is not what God wants. He does things uniquely. His plan is varied And it's not going to be like what we think. Okay. After Jesus called his disciples, they're following him. They're seeing a lot of stuff. Things they've never imagined they'd ever see. Like the dead being raised and the food being multiplied to thousands of people. And along the way, as they are watching him, do these things, and then they get to be involved in some of them, they are the original rock stars because you've got now multitudes following them. There's 12 guys Jesus picks off the street, and all of a sudden, now we've got tens of thousands following them wherever they go. 
If they're gonna, they get into a boat, Jesus says, let's go into a boat. We're gonna cross the other side. The people go, okay. And so they run around the whole lake of Sea of Galilee to the other side and they're there waiting before these guys get to show up in boats. That is going on. The atmosphere is electric. People are getting ready. I mean, a funeral procession, stopping. The guy who's dead pops back up. And what's happening during all of this time for the disciples is their painters are going to town. It's true. We're going to show you here in just a second. They have then formed in their mind where this is going. So much so that some of they start arguing, I wonder which one of us is the greatest. They have that conversation. We have that recorded. They start arguing among themselves, which one of us is the biggest rock star? A couple of others, their mom, John and James, comes to Jesus and says, can you let, I want my sons to sit on your left and your right when you come into your kingdom. Everyone is thinking the same thing. He's coming into it. This is building. There's a crescendo. Finally, the Romans are going to get kicked out. Jesus is going to be king of Israel. And we are on these 12 thrones. I want to be closest. The rock star tour is going to continue. That's exactly what is going on in their hearts and minds. And then Matthew 16. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples, after all these amazing things, that he must go to Jerusalem and, oh boy, here's a word, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So Jesus starts talking about that. Okay, guys, I know this isn't how you think. I'm actually gonna go, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna be killed, I'm gonna die. Then I'll be raised up on the third day. He says that to them. Verse 22, Peter took him aside. Hey, Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, can we have a word? <laughs> Peter and Jesus. Peter took the Lord God aside and began to rebuke him. Think about that saying, God forbid it, Jesus. Lord, this shall never happen to you, what you just said. This shall never happen to you. This has nothing to do with the plan we have of how this is gonna take place. Verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, it's never a good idea to rebuke the Lord. Just FYI, just put that down in your, just... Mark it down. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Hello. Peter was not expecting that. You are a stumbling block to me. Now, some have said that when Peter said this to Jesus, Jesus was looking at him and then he turned around and spoke to Satan who was behind him speaking to Peter. Now that could be, maybe he wasn't talking directly to Peter, to the Satan that was affecting his mindset. In any case, Satan was behind what he said, right? You are a stumbling block to me. For, and then this, is this part, so important for us. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Every one of us has our own interest. Every person has our own interest. Part of following Jesus is laying our interests down and embracing his. And if my interests are at the forefront, I will be deceived and I will think that God's will is the devil. I may even rebuke God's will if I'm at the center. You guys got really quiet. Man's interests, even from in Christian people, aren't always aligned with the interests of God. John the Baptist and Peter, two examples. Great people. How about you and I? Mine aren't always. That's why Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, if anyone's gonna come after me, he must take up his cross daily 
and come follow me. That means I need to die to my own interests every day and follow him because he's gonna do some things that are not gonna fit into my plan. It's not gonna be what I think. This is so important for us. The purpose of Jesus was to come, live, and then die. He said this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. God has a plan. He has a way of doing things. It's not our ways. That's why we have to follow him, die to ourselves, live for him, allow him to paint the picture. What we need to do is dream big and have faith, but trust God for the outcome and the timing and how it's gonna happen. Dream big, have huge faith, trust in him fully, but let him determine what it's gonna look like, how it's gonna happen, and when it's gonna happen. And if you, though, do the opposite and take into, I'm trusting God, but Lord, here's how you're gonna do it, and here's when you're gonna do it, and here's what it's gonna look like, and that thing doesn't happen, then people, I mean, I know a lot of them, and so do you, have been hurt by God, hurt by the church, hurt because their expectations were not met. In fact, I would say, I've been in church my whole life, I've been a pastor for 23, 24 years, something like that. I've seen hundreds of people leave the church. Not just leave like a church, but the church, like any church. And oftentimes if I've talked to them, they will say similar things. Christians are hypocrites. I got hurt, I was wounded, I was mistreated. This didn't happen and I wanted it to happen. It's a lot of those type of things. Yes, there is real control from some church leaders. Sometimes there's real abuse from church leaders. I hate that stuff. But I'm gonna say most of the time when people are hurt or offended, it's because we had an expectation that they would do it a certain way or that we would be treated a certain way. And when it didn't happen that way, mm, I got hurt. We are called to have elephant skin and tender hearts. You and I both. We've gotta have elephant skin really thick. And we need to be tied into God's interests, not my own. I remember I was living in Asia. Um, I was an elder in this church at the age of 22. And that church, was over 600 other churches. I was trusted with a lot. I was then given the evening service. Every Sunday evening, I was in charge. 22-year-old, if you can imagine that. Was traveling around the, that country, we're casting out demons, preaching all over the place. I was pulling together people of several different churches to have citywide meetings. All that was going on in my 20s. And then I got sent back to the United States. So I came back with an expectation that I would be treated a certain way, that I would be, that people would recognize my gift, that I would be given a platform. I had all that inside. I never said a word to anybody. But when I came to this church, joined it, was excited. They knew a little bit about me and some of what the Lord had done through me. And so I expected, honestly, kind of a red carpet in some ways. I wouldn't have said that, but I certainly expected to speak on Sunday sometimes. But here's what happened. I was never invited to speak. The only place I could find to serve was on an intercession team with a bunch of women in a back room. Fiery, awesome women. But that's not what I wanted. I don't want to be praying in secret. I wanted somehow to, for the Lord to, you know, like continue to use me in these big ways and to be seen and known. And when that didn't happen, I started getting angry, hurt, hurt by the church. What? I was, because I was not re being received the way that I expected to be received. It got to a point where the pastor had a word over me one day. And the word that he gave me, I felt was just horrible. 
because it was as if he didn't see any of this stuff in me that's so good. And I honestly went from there, I can remember it, in my car, had my sunroof, I opened that sunroof, I'm driving and I'm screaming at God through that sunroof. I'm angry. I'm angry. So this is how you treat me. This is, this is, this is for all that I've done because my expectation was not met. And I felt as though, this sounds strange maybe, I felt as though I left the Lord for three days. That was my backsliding, it was three days. On the third day, on the third day I was in bed, whining internally, and the Lord spoke to me, very simply. And he said, Matt, he said, if the calling that I have for you was to wash toilets for the rest of your life, would you do it for me? That was a question that came. And it messed me up. It's not that that was my calling. It's that if this is the calling, that I have God who made everything and made you, decided to give you this and wanted you to be faithful in doing this, would you do it for me? It was like salt being poured into my wound because I realized I had not been living for him, his interest, but mine. And I felt like I got born again again as I repented and I wept and I apologized. And I realized I wasn't wounded by church. You gotta be joking. My selfishness had created expectations that weren't met. No one mistreated me. This was self-inflicted wound. And I needed to follow Jesus and be, as Paul said, content in whatever situation I'm in. Whatever situation, however someone treats me with a smile, even if they speak evil of you, what does Jesus say? Forgive them. Love them. Modern translation, send them a birthday cake. Be kind to people who mistreat you. Be content in whatever situation you find yourself. Because ultimately, Colossians 1, it's the Lord you're serving. Ultimately, it's the Lord we're serving, regardless of what's going on. So let me finish with this. Back to Peter. Jesus says to Peter, after he rebukes him, he says, Simon, Simon, which is another story right there, since he'd already renamed him Peter, but he's calling him by his old nature. Hello. Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you... When once you have turned again, meaning what? He's going to take a wrong road. He's going to be a few days away from where he needs to be. When you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. There's so much hope that is so much filled with hope. I'm praying for you and you will turn. You'll come back. And when you do, I've got some stuff for you to do. Peter responds, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go to prison and death. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. Yikes. Peter wasn't at the crucifixion. He had run away. All the disciples had run away. All these guys Jesus had poured into departed when he needed them the most out of fear. Guys who had seen everything left him. And then, after Jesus dies, is resurrected, shows up in a room where all the disciples were, had gathered in fear, communicates with them, shows them the wounds, encourages them, 
disappears again. Peter says to a couple of his friends, hey guys, Peter had already repented. He'd already come back. He'd already encouraged his brothers. But here's his next thing he does. Hey guys, I'm going back fishing. Does anybody want to come with me? Fishing. So three years earlier, Peter was a fisherman, along with some other guys, James and John and Andrew. They're fishermen. So Peter leaves the calling that Jesus gave him and goes back to do what he used to do that's safe, that he knows how to do in his own strength, he thinks. He goes back, he leaves ministry. So after he denies the Lord, then he repents of that, then he leaves ministry altogether, goes back fishing. What does Jesus do? Tell you what, you wanna have reasons to love Jesus. Here's another one. Jesus follows him. Jesus appears on the shore as they're fishing. They've been fishing all night. Jesus comes up with somehow a fish. Whether he just spoke it into existence, come out of that water right now. Perfect, right in the pan. <laughs> or he went, and there it went. I'm not sure how he did it. He's got fish. He builds a fire. He cooks breakfast for the boys who have left ministry. Then he, he calls out to them. You guys caught anything? They're thinking, oh. of course we didn't. Don't want to answer this guy, whoever he is. And then John says, I think it's the Lord. Peter puts on a garment because he was stripped for work, jumps in the water, gets to shore, and there's Jesus. Gives him, feeds him breakfast. And then he says something so beautiful to Peter. He asked him about if he loved him or not. You know that part. But then he says, Peter, come follow me. The very thing that you quit doing, the very thing that I asked you three years ago when I first met you, I said, come follow me. Put your eyes on me. We're gonna do some stuff. And then you left. And here I am again, three years later, I'm gonna give you the exact identical calling I gave you three years before. Come follow me. Get your eyes on me and we have some stuff to do and your calling is not over. You made these mistakes, but guess what? I'm restoring you fully. In fact, what Peter didn't know was 40 days from then, he's gonna lead 3,000 people to Jesus in one day. And it's gonna go from there in a snowball effect in a beautiful way. But what Peter had to do was get rid of the dashed expectations that the painter had created in his mind and he had to refocus his eyes on Jesus and follow him, allowing Jesus to paint behind him the purposes of God fulfilled in God's way. I'm gonna keep my eyes on him. I'm gonna move this way. I'm gonna let God paint the picture of the will of God fulfilled with how and when and timing. But it's in the wake, it's not ahead of him. We have to all do the same thing. We've got to follow Jesus. What does Hebrews 2 says? Excuse me, 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Right? Following him. Not letting circumstances dictate our faith. Dictate our hope. Not letting expectations lead and guide us but our love for him and following him leading and guiding us. Stepping out in faith, but letting him do the work. Blessed is everyone who doesn't take offense at me. Every person is blessed if we don't take offense at how God does things. If we say, yes and amen, Jesus, however you're gonna do it. But I'm following you and I'll do what you ask me to do. I'm gonna keep my eyes on you, I'm not gonna take them off regardless of what happens, what it looks like, what it smells like, what it sounds like, what's said to me. How about you? Have things not worked out the way that you were hoping they would in your life, in your calling, in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your church? Are you not where you thought you'd be? Do you have these expectations? It's gonna be this way, and then other people are screwing this whole thing up. And there's inner heart hurt. There's 
discouragement on the inside. Maybe you're not even telling anybody. Or there's dashed hope, or there's less faith in God because I haven't seen him come through in all these things that I thought they were gonna happen this way. That happens to every person. To the degree that we create expectations, but we don't have to live that way. I wanna pray for us. If I could have our prayer teams come up too. And I wanna invite you, if you have these dashed expectations or you felt let down by God or maybe you've abandoned faith or slipped backwards, if you're here, you probably haven't abandoned your faith. But internally, you may feel like, yeah, we're singing God's faithful, but I don't see it. Or, yeah, uh, you say, you know, all kind of good things up there, Matt, but I know what you're really like. You're a preacher, you're just like the rest of the churches, out to wound and hurt and destroy. I know those things happen sometimes in our minds. And I just want to invite you to come back to the Lord in a fresh way and make an exchange with him. He said this thing in Matthew chapter 11. He said, if anyone would come to me, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let's make an exchange. I'll take what you have and I'll give you what I have. I'll give you peace. I'll give you power. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll cleanse you. I'll remove your anxiety. Everywhere where you've lost faith, hope, your love is low, I'll replenish it because that's who I am. Jesus will do those things when we come to him and make that exchange. Maybe it's your thought, man, I thought I'd be so much further than I am right now. I, I was in business. I expected to be a millionaire 10 years ago. Hasn't happened yet. I expected to be seen and viewed and esteemed so much higher than I am. I expected ministry to happen in this way and it hasn't. I wanna encourage you to bring all those expectations to the Lord today. Bring them all. Give all your expectations to him and ditch the painter on the inside and receive the creator of the universe who paints amazing things, so much better than we do. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.